Hey everyone, before we get to the meat of the podcast, I've got a few con announcements. First, if you're going to Gen Con, guess what? So are Jeff Greiner, Rudy Basso, and I. If you want to see us, we're going to be doing a live roundtable at 5 p.m. the Friday of the con. That's 5 p.m. on Friday, August 5th in the Crown Plaza in Grand Central Ballroom D. Look for it when the Gen Con event schedule begins. We're going to be joined by fan favorite panelist Liz Tice and other TBA. Details on a hangout afterwards to come. Then on Saturday at 4 p.m., Rudy, Jeff, and I are going to run an adventure that Rudy and I are writing. We're calling it the Tome Show Epic. The actions of one table will affect the others and vice versa. People will be jumping around from table to table, having a blast, killing an enormous living dungeon. Check it out. There's limited space available, so it's first come, first serve. Can't wait to meet you all in Indianapolis. Then I wanted to tell you that I'm going to be a featured guest at Roll20Con. It's an online convention run by my favorite virtual table. It's going to be 24 hours starting on June 3rd and doesn't have just me, James D'Amato, Adam Coble, Nolan Jones, Anna Prosser-Robinson, Margaret Crone, so many other RPG superstars are going to be there. I'll be playing a 5th edition D&D game with, guess who, Rudy Basso and some other awesome folk at 5 a.m. Pacific Time on the Twitch live stream. Come play games and watch us be awesome early in the morning. You can get all the details at Roll20Con.net. All right, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Educasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to the Tome Show and paying nothing for it but you want to help support, give us a great review. It takes less than a minute of your time. We do shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read at least one five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Here are the words of Poljack, entitled High Adventure and Untold Treasures. This is a long one, so get ready, people, because it's also a good one. The road leading from Nolb to the temple is rutted and spotted with rank weeds, thistles, burrs, thorns, nettles, etc. Some foot in animal traffic has been using the track, but it is not a busy thoroughfare. Most traffic between these points avoids using the road so as to not leave a discernible path. As you approach the temple area, the vegetation is disconcerting. Dead trees with a skeletal appearance, scrub growth twisted and unnaturally colored, all unhealthy and sickly looking or exceptionally robust and disgusting. The ruins of the temple's outer works appear as dark and overgrown mounds of gray rubble and blackish weeds. Skulls and bones of humans and humanoids gleam white here and there amidst the weeds. A grove of some oddly stunted and unhealthy looking usk trees still grows along the northern end of the former temple compound and a stump of tower juts up from the northeast corner of the shattered wall the leprous gray temple however stands intact its arched buttresses somehow obscene with their growth of climbing vegetation Everything surrounding the place is disgusting. The myriad leering faces and twisting contorted forms writhing and posturing on every face of the temple seem to jape at the obscenities they depict. The growth in the compound is rank and noisome. Thorns clutch, burrs stick, and crusted stems either emit foul stench or raise angry wheels on exposed flesh. Worst of all, however, is the pervading fear which seems to hang over the whole area, a smothering, clinging, almost tangible cloud of vileness and horror. Sounds seem distorted, either muffled or shrill or unnaturally loud and grating. Your eyes play tricks. You see darting movements out of the corner of your eye, just at the edge of your vision, but when you shift your gaze towards such, of course, there is nothing there at all. 
You cannot help but wonder who or what made this maze of narrow paths through the weedy courtyard. What sort of thing would wander here and there around ghastly edifice of evil without shrieking and gibbering and going completely mad? Yet the usual mundane sounds of your travel are accompanied by the chorus of the winds, moaning through hundreds of temple apertures built to sing like the doomed souls given over to tender mercies of demon kind, echoed by macrobe croaks from the scattered, flapping, hopping, leering ravens. There is no doubt you have come to a place of ineffable evil. Still, it is most certainly a place of high adventure and untold treasures. It is time to ready spells, draw weapons, check equipment, and set forth into the maze of peril that awaits you. Whew, that was all one take. That's why they call me old one take Intracasso. All right, who can top that? Paul Jack is currently the review monarch. See if you can take the crown by giving us a greater rating on the air. Please use the affiliate links on the tomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to the tomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Today, we're talking about rumors of the next D&D storyline and an exciting announcement about an exciting announcement. Then, it's an interview with Steve Heltz of the Four Horsemen about their ongoing Kickstarter for The Talented Bestiary. Let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What is your favorite race-class combination to play in D&D? Topher Cohan, no stranger to the roundtable. Topher, what is your favorite race-class combination to play in D&D? I haven't actually played this, but I, cause I, my, my favorite is a human bard. Obviously, that's what I play more often than not, you know, good old Jimmy of the Page. But if I was to recreate Jimmy tomorrow, I think I would make him a halfling because that, you know, get to re-roll your, your ones, every ones, and get to, you know, <laughs> occupy the same space as medium and larger. Let me tell you how much you know, that comes in handy. And the whole stout, and, you know, especially make yourself a stout, um, you know, halfling, you know, the resistance to poison and such, like, comes in handy. I think that's what I would do. I think, I think that's my favorite. I'm going to stick with it. It's going to be halfling bard. Everybody loves halfling bards. They're, uh, they're amazing creatures for sure. Um, that, uh, that I'm sure most people are infuriated to hear you even put one of those words in that sentence, let alone. Oh, I'm sure they are. <laughs> uh, Joe Lestowski is back at the round table. Joe Lestowski, what is your favorite race and class combination to play? Well, I'll tell you, James, I always enjoy playing outsiders in a society, somebody who has a unique, weird perspective that they can bring. Um, I'm currently in a game where I'm playing the, the, um, Unearthed Arcana Warforged, uh, it's a home game and it's a lot of fun because in that world there aren't many Warforged and, and so I've got a weird digital perspective. But my favorite race, I think, to play has got to be the Thrycreen. Just because if you're looking for alien perspectives and weird things, uh, a sort of bug hive mind kind of thing is the way to go. And as far as pairing it with a class, um, there's no better way to get into a weird culture than through its religion. So I think a cleric, uh, because <laughs> if you're trying to, like, it, you know, you're a giant mantis person trying to convert these meat bags to worship your queen hive mother it just doesn't get better than that. Like that's, that's role playing right there. That's weird interactions and fun in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Weird interactions and fun is what it's all about. I think <laughs> uh, a great choice. If you're playing a weird race, uh, worshiping a weird God to go along with it certainly helps you get into character. Uh, new to the round table is Robert Maxwell. Robert, welcome to the round table. Why don't you tell the listeners out there a little bit about, your history with gaming in Dungeons and Dragons? Well, um, I started back in 76. Um, the original box set of D&D. Uh, took a while to find people to play, but we finally did and had a lot of fun. Um, since then, I actually did some freelance for other companies uh, during my college career, and then I just kept playing D&D and lots of other things ever since then. I kind of phased out during fourth ed. Came back for fifth. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, you're you're here with the right people because you're you're here with a couple of uh, 4E fans 
so we have a, a lot of perspectives, which is really great. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, what your favorite race class combination to play is? Uh, right now in the Adventurers League, I have, I think, virtually every race combo, uh, class combo. But my favorite is my Dwarven Wizard Cleric. Nothing like Ooh. having a heavily armored wizard running around with your party. <laughs> no. Wow. No. Dwarven Wizard Cleric. Uh, I actually have a Half-Orc Wizard Cleric in my home game. Uh, so uh, it's a similar, uh, similar feel, although I'm sure they would be insulted to be compared to each other. We are going to dive right in. There was some exciting news that was leaked. There were some hints dropped about the upcoming D&D storyline uh, that would be coming after Curse of Strahd. Apparently, an adventure called The Storm King's Thunder uh, went on sale uh, on a website called Fantasy Welt, which is a German uh, website um, selling a D Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition a hardcover, uh, which people assume is maybe about giants. They have been hinting about a a Shakespearean inspired storyline involving giants. Uh, apparently, there's might be some connections to the old giants adventures. Those modules. Uh, so, if this is indeed the next adventure, it's going to be exciting, uh, and we should be finding out on June first officially what that is uh more on that later but right now uh giants possibly the next DD storyline are you guys excited by this um you know uh it sounds like there could even be a tie-in to uh tyranny of dragons they've hinted that this next storyline may be like you know that the dragons stirred up the giants and now there's all this trouble in forgotten realms uh, so what do you think? Giants, Forgotten Realms, connections to previous storylines. Uh, Topher, how do you feel? I think it's great. I mean, it's obviously, uh, I don't know if you remember this, James, but we did a podcast shortly after Mr. Perkins spoke at Gamehole Con in 2014, where he brought up a couple adventures and talked about a, let me make sure I get this quote correct here, a giant-based story influenced by Shakespearean, by a Shakespearean play. Uh, and to the point that um, Dragon Magazine number 78, um, Mr. Uh, Perkins uh, at least co-wrote Lear of the Giant King. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think this is probably an homage or based somewhere around uh, the classic Against the Giants adventure. Chris, has, Mr. Perkins has said multiple times publicly he's a big fan of those adventures and he likes them. He's uh, um uh, he redid them partially for 4E, if you remember correct. In oh yeah, in in, um, in uh, Dragon, uh, he's oh, I'm sorry, in Dungeon, he's a big fan of those. I think it's probably what it's based around. Uh, I think that I'm excited about this. I think that it's something that you know, if we're if we're if we're to believe what we are to see on the you know buy-in sheet from what we're getting, it's going to cost us. I did the euros to dollar conversion, somewhere around $56 or something with the current. <laughs> so probably a $55, $50 book, $49.95, right? So that's on, on par with their other hardbounds mm -hmm. that we were getting, right? So I think it's going to be pretty good that way. I bet you it's going to be, especially since if the if the little page is correct where they talk about uh, Pillage on the Storm Coast, Baldur's Gate, Waterdeep, that kind of stuff. You know, I think if it's like the original that where it's, that it's in, you know, quote unquote, homage to. It'll probably set somewhere up north, which so the book may have more information than just the adventure. So I don't know. I'm I'm super excited. I'm super excited to get my hands on it and play it. I think anything that allows us to expand and play more inside of Faerun is great. I I obviously I'm just waiting for us to leave Faerun and go to, you know, Eberron and play there. <laughs> yes yeah yeah uh it is a little like oh man i thought you know with curse of strad we were going to start exploring different material planes uh but it, it is uh it is cool to see giants and certainly shakespeare can do no wrong in this theater miner's mind a fair amount of their adventures are sort of homages or inspired by previous adventures. So if Chris Perkins loves these storylines, it makes sense to see them. Uh, Joe Lestowski, how are you feeling? I am feeling like this is a really interesting tie-in to other media going on in the popular culture mindset right now. Um, the uh, Especially the Marvel, the, the two Marvel cinematic universes, the actual one and then the X-Men one, 
Um, the most recent Civil War movie had a character who got very large. I'm not going to spoil anything there. Um, and the Age of Apocalypse coming out at the end of May. Uh, Apocalypse, one of his big things is he can get very large. Uh, for a couple of years now, people have been going crazy, and I work in a comic store, so this is how I know this, over uh, Attack on Titan, which is an anime about fighting crazy giants. And uh, so I think all of that together has sort of built up a, a desire in the minds of pop culture to, ha to be able to fight giants. And so I'm, I'm excited to see how that translates to see if any of that influences the way this adventure uh, is put together. Like, I don't know necessarily if we're going to have, you know, rocket powered grappling hooks to fly around and chop the neck of the giant, but you know, it might be a cool playtest idea. Who knows? Yeah. I would certainly like to see if, if there's going to be an adventure centered around giants, please, please include a rules module for climbing giants because it just, Inevitably happens that there's gonna be a player at your table who's gonna want to climb a giant at some point if you have a adventure center around them, right? So yeah. yeah, I'd love to to see more stuff like that. Uh, Robert, how are you feeling about this adventure? Uh, are are you feeling uh, giants if that is indeed what we are getting? Well, I love the original um, giant modules. I remember running and playing them back in the seventies had, though, the feel of a grind. I mean, one of the things about those modules is there really wasn't a history about the Giants, a culture to the Giants. One of the things I liked about what they've been doing with Fifth Ed and a lot of storylines is they've actually been giving cultures. They've been giving reasons for these different villains to be doing what they're doing. Um, I see Giants as just another one of the big monster groups and so i can easily see them going into giants as the next big threat the one main problem i've had with a lot of the uh, modules so far I mean, the big books so far has been each one is cataclysmic right now we've gone through three cataclysmic events and now we've run off to um Barovia. But it is definitely this idea of everything is becoming a major catastrophe. And I just remember back in the um, original sets of modules, you had things like the slavers. It wasn't a catastrophe. It was horrible for a small area, but it wasn't this earth-shattering, globe-destroying presence that was coming in. And I have a feeling that if they keep doing this major catastrophe every time, it's going to start, well, basically diminishing the whole story. It's going to start taking away instead of adding. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things where you're right. If there's always a cataclysmic event, where do you go? You know, it's, it's the problem you, you're going to start to see superhero movies have, right? Uh, mm -hmm. every, t every time it's got to be something that's going to destroy more and more and more and more that they have to stop. Um, so it, it is an interesting problem. I do think it's funny you brought up Strahd because Strahd is almost like a post-cataclysmic adventure, right? Um, you know, the, the cataclysm has already happened. This land has broken away from the earth and is shrouded in despair all the time. Right. Um, and you're saving it. I mean, you're, you're saving an entire world. It's a much smaller world, but you're still saving it. Yeah. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see. Giants, I mean, are, are big, earth-shattering creatures. I agree with you about the old adventures. Um, they are kind of a, a grind, and so it would be nice to see, you know, the same treatment that uh, Ravenloft got in Curse of Strahd and Temple of Elemental Evil got in uh, Princes of the Apocalypse. I think yeah. it would be awesome to see those adventures get that treatment, richer story, a lot more uh, depth to the adventures, new side quests and stuff like that. And I'm, you know, we have no reason to believe they wouldn't do that at this point. Uh, so, but who knows, who knows, um, you know, so yeah, I'd love to see new mechanics coming out with this book, a deeper, richer storyline. It sounds like we're all, uh, pretty excited and 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 pretty on board. Sure, um, I agree with Topher. I would love for them to go back to some of their older worlds. I mean, I have a love hate relationship with Forgotten Realms, <laughs> and there are so many other things like Planescape, Dark Sun, Mistra that had amazing worlds being developed, but that really have never brought back up. And I'd love to see some of those worlds get brought back up. 
Yeah, and I would absolutely love to see that. I think Planescape would be a perfect choice to do next because then it could bring you into all those other worlds. Exactly. Right? The site uh, that we the leak came from says that it's available September of 2016, which is the you know Joe. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically the end of the current Adventure League season. Yeah, right? pretty so, much. Yeah. So uh, my question then is: Is this going to be? I mean, if it's like the original G1 through G3s. G1 through G3 does not start at level one. Right. G1 through threes are levels eight to 12. So if we do a little math, it's probably somewhere around six or seven or maybe five. Who knows? But if so, that means it wouldn't. Is this where the next season to be based? Is this where the next Adventure League modules are going to be based also? Mm -hmm. So maybe it's going to be an expansion on top of that. Uh, I just, um, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'm curious about how this, as you know, if you're a long-time listener to the show, you know, Jay, uh, Joe and I are um, obsessed and and true devotees <laughs> of the Adventures League and organized play in all ah. of its with all of its warts and such. Um, <laughs> and um, we think so. I'm, I'm curious. That's that's my big curiosity, James. If you want to know, I as a as a guy who likes to run and play D and D, freaking awesome. Can't wait to get my hands on it. As a sure. guy who helps coordinate a public play at a, at a store and wants to grow this hobby. Not really sure how this is going to work. <laughs> well, and I think you know, in in a recent interview, or maybe it was in the AMA, I can't remember, but Chris Perkins had said they're working on an adventure covers a shorter period of of time. You know, uh, sort of like Ravenloft only takes you kind of from levels one through ten, one through eleven. Uh, this adventure. You know, uh, they had said they're going to have one that starts around five and only takes you to level 10. But the replayability of that adventure was going to be very high. And it would right. be, you know, you'd be able to play it in a lot of different ways. This could be that, you know, it, maybe this is uh, you have chances to ally maybe with different giant tribes or or something like that. Um, so it'll be cool to see. Uh, kind of how this all plays out. If it's 50 bucks, um, you know, and it's only five levels of adventuring, it better be highly replayable. Uh, you know, I think to be comparable to their other products that also right. cost $50. Or it needs to have a lot of other stuff in there, like new classes, new races, new spells, sure. new other stuff. Or, you know, I, I, I thought one of the best books for 4E was at the end of the 4E world, which was the couple books they put out. They put the Neverwinter book out. They put the Drow, the Mesobranzen book out. Then they put the Forgotten Realms, oh yeah, out, which were you know pretty rules light, if not rules agnostic. And I think that if there's a lot of that kind of stuff in there that tells me more about different parts of Faerun, if they're going to stick me in Faerun, don't make me stay on the coast. The other thing that really excites me about the idea of bringing giants in is uh, because I uh, collect the miniatures. Is that that means lots of huge size minis and and really just giant things to put on the table which is impressive you know and and makes me feel like a big person because i've got cool minis and <laughs> and because <laughs> fun at the gaming table is to feel like we're important so <laughs> yeah more stuff for your tarantula to interact with no doubt yes True yes that. That brings us kind of to the, today. There was another announcement. This one officially from Wizards of the Coast that they are going to announce the next storyline on June first. It's going to be they're going to do it on Twitch, uh, and they're announcing a bunch of stuff. It's not just going to be hey, here's the next storyline. D and D live from Meltdown, uh, where they'll be at Meltdown Comics. Uh, Matt Mercer is going to be there, who uh, is the DM of Critical Role. He's the guy who made the Gunslinger class and the Bloodhunter class. Uh, he's the guy who DM'd Vin Diesel. So hopefully that all rings some bells. Um, he has been working hand-in-hand uh, -hand with the team at D&D to develop a new adventure. Uh, Allison Hayslip, who's from G4 and Comedy Central, she's going to host... Uh, and we're going to see Chris Perkins, Mike Merles, Rob Overmeyer, who's the EP of Neverwinter, friend of this podcast, uh, I would also mention. Um, and some other D&D &D creators are going to be there. Uh, and they're going to be talking not just about this storyline, but they're going to be talking about uh, accompanying products, uh, including miniatures, apparel, and video games, WizKids, Gale Force 9, we Love Fine, Cryptic slash Perfect World is going to be there. Uh, it sounds like Fantasy Grounds is going to be there. Uh, so they're probably going to be announcing 
Uh, as Joe mentioned, miniatures, I imagine Neverwinter is probably going to have some big, crazy, giant expansion, which should be really fun. Um, you know, Gale Force 9, all, all that good stuff. There's going to be a lot of things happening. It sounds like an exciting live stream. And it also sounds like Matt Mercer is maybe going to be doing a live stream series for the people at D&D as well. Um, so a lot of stuff is going to be packed into this announcement. Like we said, it's going to be on uh, the 1st of June. Uh, so people should definitely tune in to see what that's about. It's going to be at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So all of that being said, gentlemen, uh, are you going to tune in for this announcement? And what do you hope some of the products and things we hear about are? And why don't we start with you, Robert Maxwell? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, the truth is I, I'm not one of the people that sits there and watches a lot of um, these different broadcasts. Um, I catch a few every so often, but really I'll just wait and find out, you know, the Cliff Notes version of it later. Um, it's just really more of a time issue for me. Um, so sure. yeah, well, that's what great podcasts the, uh, like this one are for, you know? Exactly. <laughs> uh, sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, no, no, no. That's just it. Yeah, I mean, timing, I the Cliff Notes version, podcasts of it, much better. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll be getting the, you know, you'll you'll tune into the EN World version uh, or, or that kind of thing. Uh, uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Topher, uh, what about you? Uh, will you be tuning into this announcement? No. And there's a reason <laughs> for that. Not that I'm not a fan of. They have scheduled it 4 p.m. West Coast time on a Wednesday, <laughs> which is 7 o'clock East Coast time, which is when me and the most populated part of the country will be going to their <laughs> local friendly gaming stores to play D&D. Right. So good timing, which is the coast way to be all over that. Now, maybe they wow. thought – maybe this is on purpose. Maybe they thought these people are going to be in game stores. Maybe you know that could make an event. I'm going to talk to Titans and Smyrna to see if we can – get it on the TV in there and, you know, watch it a little bit of an event mm -hmm. to see how that works out. Right. So that is, but beyond that, I have, I, I have, I have tons and tons of questions about this. I literally <laughs> have tons of questions. So uh, probably like James, I got a press release earlier today from the lovely people at wizards of the coast. So I've been reading over this. Uh, I have a couple of questions is um, uh, Allison. That's great. From G4. Does anybody remember that network? Is that, that's not around anymore, right? G4 is defunct. Uh, is yeah. i here for a while. Uh, I think G4 became the Esquire Network. All right, well, good yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, so uh, my, my my real question is, is the fact that is um, Matthew Mercer, is this it? Is he done now with Critical Role? Because it's because in the other post that they did, it made it sound like that the new quote-unquote show he may be doing is going to be on the Nerdist channel, not on Geek and Sundry which is where he does Critical Role. One thing that I know because I, I uh, follow both of those companies is Geek and & Sundry and Nerdist have the same parent company. They're both oh, owned okay. by Lionsgate. Um, so oh, I would right. assume yeah. that anything that would happen between them is, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like, may, you know, they, maybe they're saying, hey, come over here and do this and do this. You know, I, I don't know. But I know that Nerdist, their theater, right, uh, Nerd Melt and everything, it has a big presence there at Meltdown Comics where they're doing the announcement. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if this means he's done with Geek and Sundry, mm. but he certainly could do both, and it wouldn't be a conflict of interest for Lionsgate. My other two things are the fact that I want more apparel, and I want them – I want it easier for me to get than having to jump through the hoops that We Love Fine. I like the products that We Love Fine put out, but as a online consumer, it's not the smoothest and best – purchasing process yeah <laughs> um I, why i can't walk into freaking hot topics i know i'm old and going into hot topics <laughs> no end let's so be very clear about this or why my local friendly gaming store can't buy D, &D t-shirts and sell them to me is beyond me that's a that's a that's a complete and epic product fail in my mind but i want more of that but the line here that got me most excited and then i got unexcited was the online playing aids Online mm. playing aids, and then I read that it's, they're going to have WizKids, Gale Force 9, We Love Fine, Fantasy Grounds, and Cryptic Perfect World. So I assume online playing aids, as you do, James, right? Do we all agree with this, that it's new content for Fantasy Grounds and not finally a portable character sheet like Hero Lab or a character builder or something that the community actually wants? 
I would assume, unless maybe Fantasy Grounds has partnered with them to to make some sort of uh, you know app like that. But yeah, I, I would guess what they're saying is, uh, you know, for for your virtual table, your your Fantasy Grounds. Here's you know, it's exciting. Here's the update we're doing for Fantasy Grounds, and maybe there's something about the adventure that makes it more exciting to play online. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to pull us too far off, but I would love for Fantasy Grounds to do something like. Roll twenty did for a while, where you could have your character sheet outside of the app on your iPad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I, would be amazing. I would be much more. I would use the Fantasy Ground. I've, I I bought Fantasy Ground. I have all the updates. I would use it a lot more if I could have my character on my iPad to take to my local friendly gaming store. Also, but or maybe Wizards of the Coast just strike a deal with Roll Twenty. That would or, also work. Or how about with Hero Lab? Yeah, with, yeah. With, or with Hero Lab. Yeah, that would also be great. Yeah, yeah. with them. I'm in for that. I, I, I want to know what's happening, and obviously, but I'm, I'm with you, Robert. I'm not a big fan of the um, the actual play podcast and stuff, but I, I realize I'm becoming more and more a minority with that. I've, I've seen some people lament they wish Wizards would do it as a podcast, because then you could take it while you're listening in your car, you know, or, or while right. you're exercising and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a lot harder to do when it's uh, something you have to stream. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting oh. to see. And one more side note, um, everybody should go to the Tome Show and click on the Dungeon Master Guild link because then they can go and buy G1 through 3 against the Dragons for four ninety nine and help out the Tome Show and figure out all the backstory for the new you know, adventure that we think is coming out. Nice, nice. Oh, very slick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, see what I did there? See what I did. Yeah, I like that a lot, Topher. Thank you. So that leaves you, Joe Lestowski. Uh, will you be tuning in? Uh, will you be uh, huddling around a, a laptop screen or a, a computer monitor uh, at uh, Encounters uh, since you are also uh, over here on the right coast? Uh, um, I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have my spider watch it and give me updates. Uh, as, <laughs> uh, she's really great. yeah, great at texting. Great. <laughs> she's really tuned into the web so uh <laughs> oh, oh, oh. um i i will probably i will probably at least keep an eye on it i don't know if i'll watch the whole thing as it goes on but i may click over in between you know combat rounds or something like that to see what's going on um i uh I think I speak for much of nerd culture when talking about whether Nerdist or uh, Geek and Sundry is going to get this new content that I really just want to see Chris Hardwick and Felicia Day in some kind of like steel cage death match to see, um, cause I think that would really benefit all of us. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> I think I would, the two of them together. I, I would love to see them in a D and D game together. I think that would be really interesting. Uh, Topher and Robert, is there any, any comedian who is, you know, active, who could be a part of this, who would change your mind about live play? Uh, Robert, let's start with you. I just don't see role-play games as a spectator sport. <laughs> I mean, it's every time somebody mentions that, it's like, you know, I would rather just go and sit at a table with friends and play <laughs> and watch another group of people play. I mean, it, it's interesting, you know, these people that have um, on-air personalities, even radio personalities, that do play, and I find that amazing. I think that's great for the hobby. I think that's great just for our culture, period. But um, yeah, I just don't see it as a spectator sport. And I've, I've, I've had to in my life watch debates and things or other activities that I'm like, uh, you know, no, I can go see a play. I, you know, enjoy going to see plays. I enjoy seeing actors work. I just don't really want to sit there watching them roll dice. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Topher, what about you? Is there anyone who could sway you? Uh, yeah, not so much a comedian, though. I mean, I could see some personalities. I think part of the reason that uh, Acquisition Incorporated shows work so well, right? And, and let me be very clear. I don't, I, I don't watch the, the actual play podcasts for multiple reasons. And one of them is the fact that I don't have time to sit in and watch it for multiple hours. I think that the, I think James, you, you may, I think we may touch on this is the uh, acquisition incorporated ongoing series that they announced in the little teaser, I think may be a little more appeasing to me because then it could be a shorter period of time 
and I could watch it during like my lunch break at work or something. I don't, I don't have to, des you know, designate multiple hours to do it. Uh, I think that if you give me something like, you know, Paul and Shore or give me, you know, that level of geekdom, you know, the, the guys from the Nerdist, the guys from, you know, the cast of Game of Thrones or something like that to sit down and play that stuff. I, w I, I would watch because the curiosity factor. Uh, I think that there, but there's nobody that I'm going, you know, if that comedian hopped on there, I don't know. I, I just wouldn't do that. I think just smaller chunks would make it better for me. Gotcha. Smaller chunks. Yeah. Certainly uh, trying to watch a movie every week uh, can, can get hard as opposed to like a half hour, an hour TV show. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, well, we definitely want to know what people out there think. Uh, please let us know. What do you think about giants being the next D and D storyline? What do you think about this announcement? Are you going to tune in? Are you going to watch it? Are you excited for it? What do you hope to get out of it? Uh, hit us up over at facebook.com slash the Tome Show or in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. All right. And before we go, uh, I would like to thank my panelists and ask where can people find you on the Internet? Topher Cohan, let's start with you. Uh, people can find me on the Twitters at Topher ATL, T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. Also on the Facebook at Topher Cohan, T-O-P-H-E-R-K-O-H-N. Also, if you live in the Metro Atlanta area and you don't currently have a place to play D&D, you can stop by Titans Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia on Wednesday nights and play some D&D with me and some other great people there. I help them coordinate their D&D organized play. And we also have games on Saturday now and first Sunday of every month. We run, um, we're running season three of Expeditions right now. So come by and say hi or drop me a line. Awesome. Awesome. Nice, nice. Well, that is uh, pretty freaking cool. Make sure you stop by and see Topher. Uh, Joe, where can people find you? I am on Twitter uh, at Joe Lestowski, J-O-E-L-A-S-T-O-W-S-K-I. Uh, I am also frequently at uh, Modern Myths, Comics, and Games in Western Massachusetts. If you're looking for some fun times role-playing with me, uh, usually Wednesday, Thursday nights, I'm running some kind of game or another. I'm not sure which season we'll be doing when and whatnot, but come on in. We'll roll some dice. It'll be fun. Well, go roll dice with Joe. It is going to be a blast. Uh, he is also awesome. If you can find him, uh, Robert Maxwell, where can people find you? Well, I'm on Google uh, plus Facebook and Twitter, all at bio R a Maxwell. Well, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the roundtable. You are certainly welcome back anytime, as are these two gentlemen who actually have to come back whenever I ask <laughs> them. They are, they're never well, given a choice. You. Yeah, yeah. So so be careful how often you accept the invitation, because eventually <laughs> it just becomes your duty. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like those those fairy contracts. If you say yes three times, you're you're forever bound. Exactly. <laughs> James exactly. has files of our blood somewhere. We're bound him. I'm really sure what's happening with all this. Yeah, yeah. It's that contract you signed in blood. Now let's roll that interview with Steve Helt of the Four Horsemen about his Kickstarter for the talented Bestia. Okay, everybody. Now I'm here with the one and only Stephen Helt. How are you, Mr. Famine? How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. Super busy uh, as always, and uh, loving. Well, it's always good to be super busy, especially when you are working in the gaming field. So, uh, you know, and it's great for us that you're busy because that means we're going to see more stuff coming from you, uh, which is some of our favorite products here on the roundtable. Uh, you oh, are. Here with us to talk about, among other things, the Talented Bestiary Kickstarter, which we talked to Stephen Rowe and Dan Dillon, uh, two of the other horsemen, uh, about that project uh, when it kicked off. So now you're yeah. about midway through the Kickstarter. How's everything going? Uh, it's going. It's exceeded our expectations. It's going fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of buzz and excitement about it, and uh, there should be. It's a fantastic product. Rowe has really outdone himself, but we have uh, worked hard. And uh, so far, everybody's really receptive. Uh, we, we were funded a little over, I think it's about 26 hours. We funded the Kickstarter. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. That was when it first started. And uh, so now we've got, uh, I think at the time that we're recording this, we're about 10 days ago. Awesome. Awesome. So people, if you are listening to this right now, you should stop what you're doing. If you haven't supported this Kickstarter already, you should go check it out immediately because it could be over uh, in a matter of moments, depending on when you're listening to this. So go to Kickstarter, 
go to thetomeshow.com. It's in the show notes for this episode, a direct link to The Talented Bestiary on Kickstarter. So for people who may have missed that interview, give us the top line. What is The Talented Bestiary? Uh, The Talented Bestiary is a system for designing Pathfinder. Uh, You could also use it for 3.5 compatible games, but for designing Pathfinder creatures and encounters. You can also use them to create separate races that have hit dice. Uh, it's kind of like the advanced race guide by Paizo that you design new races that don't have racial hit dice. Uh, you could create brand new races for players to play if you want to play, you know, a two or three hit die orc race uh, and have the whole party be orcs uh, using the system, then you can. Uh, primarily, its best use is going to be turning expectations on their heads when it comes to monster and encounter design. Uh, because what we want is we want people to be able to design anything they can imagine from the ground up. Uh, we see on Facebook, I answer a number of rules questions uh, uh, on Facebook all the time. And one of the most frequent questions is, how do we convert this creature from a game that you know doesn't have it? There's not an analog of Pathfinder. Or how do I create, put this concept into a set of statistics and create this creature without all of the super intensive math? And I get some of that done for me. And the Talented Beast series takes all of that, does a lot of the hard work for you, and then lets you just have fun picking and choosing abilities that fit into its CR. And have a point buddy with something. It's uh, easy and it's fast and it's the most fun creature design I've ever done. We should also mention that uh, not only do you get this amazing system, probably the best that's ever been created, you know, for creating monsters that's easy, fast, fun, like you just said. You also get a whole bunch of monsters that were made using the system, right? Yeah, it's exactly right. If you're going to buy a book like that, I think a lot of people want they want full color art and they want new takes on creatures that they are, they can already insert into games uh, with a CR attached and all that. Most importantly, though, we created those creatures to play test the system and make sure the point values and uh, the math uh, and spreadsheeting added up correctly, and it all does. It's uh, the math is very solid, uh, and that it just makes it simpler. And the great thing about it is, you literally can anything that you can imagine. You start from the ground up, choose its role in combat. Uh, and create the creature that you want with the abilities that you want to use against your players or as players. Uh, but yeah, you get, a, I think, about 230 monsters. Uh, plus, we'll have some additions because we've already achieved a number of stretch goals for the Kickstarter. Uh, so it's actually more than 230 monsters already. And uh, we'll just be, we'll just keep growing for the next 10 days and keep adding stuff. At $15,000, uh, the next stretch goal is we're going to add daemons, which, of course, daemons are near and dear to our hearts if we had them. Uh, because <laughs> we are, you know, we fill that persona of the four horsemen, the neutral evil outsiders. So we want the old school Yugoloths and the new school daemons. And uh, we really love how they sort of personify death by a certain cause. Uh, and so we're going to make a bunch of those for everybody. We'll reimagine some of the existing ones. And then, uh, of course, uh, create some brand new ones that haven't been created yet at all. Just to show everybody you know, how easy it is to create these new creatures, take a concept and, and run with it. It's awesome. So just the, you know, the 200 plus monsters are worth the price of admission and you're not even getting the main course, which is this amazing system for building new monsters. Uh, you know, when, when you factor that in, this thing is really a steal for people to check out and it's already funded. So if you, it's worth the time to go you know, click on something. It's worth the 30 seconds that you're worried you might waste uh, because you're you're going to get this book if you contribute to this Kickstarter, if you back this Kickstarter, which is amazing. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the Talented Bestiary stretch goals. You mentioned a few of them coming up. Uh, what can people get if they help grow the size of this project? You know, I mentioned that we'd launched a couple of stretch goals already. So uh, let's revisit those real quick so everyone knows. The really neat thing about getting into a Kickstarter at the end, of course, is that you don't have as many uncertain things, that you know it's going to fund already, so the product is going to be there. One of the things that's true about us that isn't always true about Kickstarters is the major writing and design and even a significant portion of the artwork for this book is already finished. So you're definitely going to get it on time. You're going to get everything that you, you, you pitch in for to back the Kickstarter. And most of that work is already finished, so you don't have to spend a lot of time waiting for it to show up or see if it's on deadline and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, the basic funding goals already happened, and then we've also added things that are going to be really useful for entire tables. We don't want just GMs getting use out of the game uh, to create monsters. We want players to feel like that they're going to be able to uh, 
uh, make use of the book so that every Pathfinder table should get at least one copy, you know, in print. Uh, so the first stretch goal was player options, where we get to add things like animated objects, summoning undead, uh, familiars and animal companions. You can use a talented bestiary to get kind of cool control over those instead of having a finite list and finite abilities that uh, are already kind of chosen for you. And that's just it. I just get a medium-sized bear, and I, the bear has those statistics and those abilities, and, and that's all I can do. Which animal companions in Pathfinder are already fairly cool, but uh, this allows them to be fully customizable for a lot better. Um, Talented templates. If you want to create templates that apply to maybe your PC, but specifically you want templates that apply to a static creature, uh, templates throw together a little faster than actual creatures. That's one of our stretch goals. You'll get there's separate content. There's an appendix chapter for talented templates. And then the most recent thing that we added is playable monsters. I know you know about that. Uh, and uh, that's just a lot of fun. There was a book called Savage Species, which did really good work, allowing you to play like a ghoul or a knoll or a minotaur uh, or uh, some other kind of creature. And, it, you know, you had certain levels of levels applied hit dice and some of the statistics for the creature and uh, allowed it to balance with, you know, regular humans and dwarves and elves. Uh, so Playable Monsters is a chapter that's already achieved, it's already added. So coming up then, we get to add uh, Talented Demons. Uh, like I said, that's at 15,000. Those demons are going to be neutral evil outsiders that personify death and destruction and apocalypse in some way and have really cool abilities. And, uh, of course, my favorite four are going to be the four that represent, you know, death, famine, pestilence, and war. And we're going to do a good job with those deacons uh, and make some really cool encounters. Uh, B-Series 2 is at 20,000. That's the next one that's on the horizon uh, after those. Uh, so I really think we can get there, uh, especially if we get a strong push from folks who want to uh, spend a little time with the horsemen and back at a really high level, or if they want to make sure they get additional horseman content for the coming year. Those things are available at higher backer levels and will push us towards 20,000. At 20,000, we're going to add Bestiary 2. Uh, what that means is we've already got all of the creatures, or almost all the creatures, and certainly all of the universal monster rules and the individual specific abilities of the creatures in the Pathfinder Bestiary. Uh, those are all accounted for in the current work that's already finished and ready to, to add some art and get to print. Uh, at 20,000, we're going to add Best Area 2, which means we're going to go through, we're going to take monsters out of Best Area 2 that are uh, iconic or that are really popular or that look like they're really interesting and we have cool ideas for. And then we're also going to take any additional universal monster rules uh, and specific monster abilities from the entire Best Area, uh, you know, things that are unique to those individual creatures. Um, so we do those, we take those and assign them point values, and then you can use those to build additional creatures later on. And then later stretch goals will let you, will let us do the same thing. We'll add additional bestiaries. Uh, we'll take, uh, I think in the mid 20,000s, we will take, uh, additional recommendations from backers about what kind of content they want to add. Uh, and those are the stretch goals that we've got coming. I'm really excited about the next two because I think bestiary two is one of the best books in Pathfinder. Uh, and so the ability to add that would be a huge boon for all the backers. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing to uh, back one book and get two. Um, be pretty exciting, right? Uh, Stephen, why don't we talk just a little bit? Uh, you know, we got to talk to Dan and Stephen about some of their favorite creations in the book. Uh, what um, are some of your favorite creations in this book, maybe that you worked on? I, we've tried to drop hints about different kinds of creatures that will really excite everybody. And so I've got, we've got a few. Uh, when we divided them up, we went through letters and I only got to do the D section because the D section of the vestiary is so huge that one letter got one designer. Uh, so I got to do demons and, and devils. I got to do dinosaurs uh, and, uh, and then a, a host of other creatures. And then I got to do a, a smattering of other creatures through there. And so getting to do the evil outsiders, you know, Filling out sort of the shtick of evil outsiders ourselves as horsemen uh, was a lot of fun for me. Uh, we, I created a kind of a, a god of chaos magic. He's a, a sort of a valor lord that uh, exists for the purpose of screwing up the rules of magic. Like, uh, you know, everything follows rules for magic, uh, even spell-like abilities and that sort of thing. And I feel like the demons ought to reject some of those rules sometimes. So magic doesn't work around him quite the same. Uh, as it does everywhere else because he rejects the idea that you can, he has to follow any sort of pattern or rules or that you get to follow rules to, to his discipline. Um, and then what I've created also kind of an adversarial pit fiend and the pit fiend is actually more interested in policing hell and uh, making sure the devils fall in line than he is in out fighting wars against uh, demons or demons or angels or any of that. His job is to be the Lord Inquisitor uh, of, of devils. 
So he was a lot of fun because he's got a really strong personality. Um, my favorite designs from the other guys, uh, uh, Dan designed a genie. I think they mentioned this during your uh, during the last podcast, but it's just it's too good not to mention. Uh, there's a, a, a specific genie that waits in the ethereal plane and listens to people talk and waits until they make little wishes under their breath or make little snide comments to each other. You know, the sort of things that we say to ourselves that we would never really say, you know, out loud. And whenever that happens, he turns them into a wish and grants that wish. So, if, you know, if you say to your spouse, you know, man, I just wish we'd never met, you know, he'll try to work out a way that that, that happens. And you didn't mean it, of course, but that's his, that's a, he's pernicious like that. He is trying to create drama and chaos and, and be sort of villainous. And uh, it's just a really cool idea that around him, he's like a moving plot device where when people create their own conflict, uh, he takes advantage of it. The GM is just sort of secretly invisibly has that genie uh, uh, pulling pranks by making people's accidental wishes come true. He's fun. He's fantastic and fun. My favorite monster from uh, Stephen Rowe, uh, who's the lead developer and lead designer of this project, uh, is just hysterical. It's a mansion-sized mimic. So it takes a... It, it emulates an entire, like, really large house, uh, furnishes itself, and pretends to be the house so that people go inside and look around. Maybe they explore it. Maybe they want to purchase it. And then he pretends it's haunted, or he closes off some of the walls and trash people there for a while, all for the purpose of just uh, uh, making trouble and for his own entertainment. And it's, it's a hysterical idea. But, you know, instead of the, uh, the chest or the table or the chair mimic that is waiting for someone to sit down so that it can eat, uh, this one is the size of a house uh, and a really nice house and waits for people to go inside and then messes with them. Uh, just a fantastic idea. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like there are great little, um, I guess I want to say puzzle monsters almost, you know, in there that there it's not just combat you're experiencing here. You could center an entire story campaign, multiple sessions around these things, which is great. You know, um, that, uh, that genie came up the last time we were, uh, talking about this on the podcast and it is my favorite monster. Ever, he's incredible. I right. mean, just just the idea that you know, you, what you do is you make real terror and real trouble out of the things that normal everyday people do. Uh, it's just fantastic, and to use the mechanics in in our system to do that is it, uh, it's a really just a moment of pride that you can. I guess the, the real issue, James, is the creature design in the Talented Bestiary is intentionally story driven first because you start with a concept before you do anything else. And then you fill out that concept instead of, oh, I want to make an adventure and I'd like it to have giants. And these are the giants that are available to me from various, you know, source books. I'm going to make the kind of giant or dragon or whatever that I want. And it's going to do things the way that I want it to do them. And now my, my players don't know exactly what's going on. You know, uh, they don't, when they see a dragon, they don't see a red dragon with fire resistance and spell resistance and it breathes fire and has a fire aura. They see, uh, a, floating feathered blue purple dragon with no legs and when it and its breath weapon is prismatic spray and that sucks and so you know how do we fight this thing it's everything gets its own personality its own motivation it's all up to the gm or the player designing its playable race to to make something brand new and fun and i'm really i'm really proud of it but story driven i mean any time that you can take solid mechanics with proven math and really make them a storytelling tool. I mean, that's what I think great game design is at its heart. If you can, if you can do those, then you're onto something. And we we certainly feel like we are. Yeah, absolutely. It is so cool. Like you said, bringing up story first, I think is is huge. So, and if you're out there, uh, 3.5 and Pathfinder are some of the easiest systems to also convert from. So I feel like this book is worth it no matter what you're playing. Uh, it's going to give you great ideas. It's going to give you a bunch of new monsters. It's going to teach your players how to play monsters. If you want to run a monster campaign or if you are a player who wants to play a monster this book is totally worth it uh steven what else uh do the four horsemen come have coming down the pike that we can talk about you know i'm really excited that we are doing our second annual four horsemen open at gen con excellent uh, we, we do a team tournament last year the reception was so great we filled out all the tables uh the players all seem to have a really good time uh we had a few tpks but those players seemed really really happy uh, with the way things that worked out, you know, because the uh, 
the adventures that were written had fantastic NPC or fantastic player characters. We published pre-gen, but we were all players first. Uh, and so we want our pre-generated characters to be fun and have really great backgrounds, good role-playing opportunities, and to not be kind of mill, uh, run-of-the-mill mechanically, but to be fantastic. Uh, and also have little tricks built into them. So if you wanted to play, uh, uh, you know, the elven fighter archetype that we had, you know, if you just looked at the character sheet and didn't really know how to play very well, then you could probably play a pretty potent fighter. But if you really understood the archetype and were a student of the game or were a great tactical thinker, uh, she was amazing. Uh, and she would kill stuff really hard and, you know, defend her, her fellow players really well. So, uh, you know, building really good PCs is important to us and the uh, players enjoyed them. This year we're expanding the size. Uh, and of course, we had three horsemen last year when we did the tournament. Now we have four, so we're expanding our finals table to four tables. Uh, so we'll have uh, uh, up to, I think, about 80 players, uh, and then we'll expand that to uh, four finals tables, where every table, if you make it to the final round, in addition to getting really good prize support just for showing up playing, uh, if you get to the final round, you get more prize support, and you get to have your game GM by one of the four horsemen and another celebrity guest. You get two GMs, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, ben and I TPK at our party in the final round. It's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, ben and I had a little side bit going because he thought that the one encounter I thought was the most deadly was not going to be that great, and uh, I hammered them all, and it was wonderful. Uh, it was a it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but the the teams that show up they show up frequently knowing each other, so they're there ready to cooperate and to play and to be tactical and to role play a character uh, and have a great time. Uh, this time around, we're telling a great story. Uh, you're going to play a group of of Characters who don't know each other well, but they're sort of part of a dirty half dozen of sorts. There's five PCs, not six. But, uh, <laughs> and they're, they're, they have nothing left to lose, and they're conscripted by a horrible evil entity to start a war. And uh, in order to start a war, you have a certain number of errands you have to do, and uh, you he holds a lot of leverage over you. So you really have to accomplish these errands in order to get this war started. Uh, and so uh, it's a very prestigious line of work, and... <laughs> So that's what the PCs are going to do. They're going to start a war in the first round of the Forest and Open Agenda. That event runs 12 to 5 on Thursday, the preliminary round, and then the final round runs 12 to 5 on Friday, and we just have a great time. All of your, all of our GMs are uh, well-practiced, seasoned. They're either Iron GM winners, you know, world championship winners, or they're published game designers uh, or artists or other luminaries that have been around a while and know how to give it a time. Well, I love the sound of that. Certainly PCs going off to start a war is a really interesting story, and certainly uh, playing with the Four Horsemen is an opportunity that should not be missed at Gen Con. Uh, Stephen, before we go, is there anything else you want to tell people? Uh, just please go back our back our Kickstarter. We've done a lot of hard work for it, and we, uh, uh, you know, it's not without a great publisher in Owen Stevens and Road Genius Games. So he knows how to complete a Kickstarter and how to give players and consumers a good time. He's got a lot of loyal, loyal uh, customers. And uh, uh, take good care of us, and we promise we'll take good care of you. And uh, then move on to other big projects that we want everyone to be a part of. And uh, we should also mention that Stephen Rowe, this project is his baby, uh, has also recently had a real physical baby as yeah, well. He's- Sort of gave birth twice in the same week, really, yes. Uh, although I think Jen did more work than he did overall. Of course, uh, of but, course. Uh, everyone's happy and healthy, and uh, I, I just love his wife. She's a great person, uh, personality, uh, and of course she's the same for putting up with him and us and the work that we do. So, But uh, everyone's happy and healthy, and we're really happy for him. Awesome, awesome. Well, this would be a great gift to him. Uh, so if you like the work the Four Horsemen do, you're not going to be disappointed in this project. Uh, go donate. It is the talented bestiary uh, on Kickstarter right now. Stephen, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find us as a group uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash fourhorsemanofficial. Uh, you can see the red button there that has the four uh, images of us, you know, our little personas. Uh, we have our own website at fourhorsemanofficial.com. You can go there. You, you can always go there. If you want to buy something from the Four Horsemen, but you're not quite sure which book you want to get, or if one book it has your interest, but you're not sure what its content is, we preview all of those so everyone can, can – well, we want you to make sure you know what you're getting, and you're getting something a lot of fun. Uh, 
Uh, so if you want to go by there and take a look at character, uh, comedic character options, or our, uh, I'm super proud in February, we did our four hybrid classes. Uh, you can go take a look at those hybrid classes and get the Blasphemer or the Shifu uh, or the other two, and uh, those are a lot of fun to play also. Uh, so you can check us out there. We're, of course, at the Four Horsemen blog and on Twitter at FH4Horsemen. Uh, FH FH4Horsemen? FH official. You know, I'm not very good at Twitter names. <laughs> so uh, I, think our, I think our page it just has the FH famine name because that's what I did whenever I first created it. Awesome. And then, of course, you can find me on Facebook at Stephen T. Hill. Ask rules questions and get GMing or campaign advice. Uh, or find out what projects we're up to, or I'm up to individually, and you can find us all there. As always, the things that are coming out of the minds of the Four Horsemen are brilliant and creative and fun and well-designed, so people should check this out. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the roundtable today. Oh, gosh, it's always a great time. Thanks for having me. And before we go, there's a final quick segment we've started doing every week here on the Roundtable. Each week, we highlight a new product in our DMs Guild pick of the episode. This week's highlighted DMs Guild product comes from Aaron Quickleaf Infante Levy. It's called The Beast of Gravenskov, an introductory Ravenloft adventure. The Beast of Gravenskov is a 79-page bookmarked Ravenloft adventure for characters of 1st through 4th levels focused on mystery and exploration. It can be used in conjunction with Curse of Strahd, either as an introduction to Barovia or adapted as a side quest. It can be used also as a standalone horror adventure. In a land overrun with wolves, a beast haunts the misty lands, leaving bloody corpses and terror in its wake. There's a direct link to The Beast of Gravenskov over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. 79 pages, only five bucks, tons of awesome art. You should check it out. Thanks to my panelists, Topher, Joe, and Robert, and my guest, Stephen. All right, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.